This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Endurance Day on Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 14th, episode 827. This episode is brought to you by Action Rider Tack. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday... And it doesn't get much better than best conditioned. And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on Endurance Day. And Karen, you sound so much better. You have an official setup now, a microphone. You're just an official host now. I do. I'm, like, legitimate now, official and everything. It's nice. You won't nice. have to hold the phone Great. up to your ear for an hour and a half. <laughs> I know. I was fun. getting, like, uh, ear cramps. And, um, yeah, this is awesome. Well, you sound good. So we're glad good. to have you back here on Endurance Day. And well, good uh, morning. We have... Yeah, good morning, and and uh, we have we have some fun stuff. Jennifer's going to tell us about what's coming up in the show here, but before we get to that, uh, you've uh, also had some adventures over the last uh, month or so. So we'll we'll talk about those a little bit later on as well. Uh, just a, a programming note: uh, Jamie, Jennifer, and I will be back tomorrow morning on Horses in the Morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, and we will have the EquityMSG.com Wheel of Trivia. So give us a call, win great prizes. If you're an endurance rider, we will make sure you win a prize no matter what. So if you call in and you're an endurance rider, just give us a call tomorrow morning at at 347-637-3238 at 9 a.m. Eastern, and we'll we'll ask you a trivia question, spin the wheel, and see what you want. And we'll we'll make sure you win a prize. Hey, hey we Glenn. We like our endurance prize. Yeah. yeah, I th- I think what we're going to have to do though is we're going to have to have instead of horses in the morning, we're going to have to have horses at lunchtime for all of those West Coast endurance riders because yes, I, know. <laughs> I don't think they're getting up at five o'clock in the morning to call us. <laughs> Not unless they're driving to uh, or, or getting up for a, a uh, an endurance Bye-bye. ride, right, Karen? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Any other day, you're not getting up this early. P- pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's uh, find out from Jennifer what's coming up on today's show. On today's Action Rider Tech, Endurance Tuesday with Karen Chatton, following a fun-filled recitation of Karen's list of telltale endurance rider traits, Sue and Dennis Summers will be stopping by for some helpful advice on taking your endurance horse to the next level. And in the middle half of the show, Sarah Compton and Carla Winkler bring in the goods from Action Rider Tech. 
Thank you, Jennifer. Hey, I got to be before we get into all of your adventures and stuff. Do, do you do you have any horses that love to roll in in puddle, large puddles or streams? <laughs> yes, any chance they get, they love to roll. Yeah, is that an Arab thing? Do they like that? I don't know if it's an Arab thing. I think any horse once they've been worked and they've gotten sweaty and itchy and stuff, they just love to roll. They love to. Especially if they've just been bathed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but ours, you know, my pony, he will, uh, like this morning, Jennifer took him out, and we had a ton of rain. We've been just getting nonstop rain here in Florida for the last six months. And we had a ton of rain overnight again. And there, it forms this little stream that's about two feet deep in his, in his paddock. So she went out to put him in the paddock, and sure enough, he walks, he walks right into the stream and rolls with his blanket on, and rolls oh, uh-huh. and then gets up uh, and rolls on the other side. So yes, I've, um, I've had mine do that, know. and then when you take the blanket off, it will stand up on its own. <laughs> we don't get that cold, so we don't have to worry about well, that. We can, we can <laughs> put the fish inside of his blanket right now. <laughs> yeah, it's from from the mud. The mud cakes oh. so bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's another advantage of living in Florida too. We don't have the mud. We have sand, so we don't get that oh, mud issue. Okay. That's yeah, another big. That's nice. actually a big advantage of living down here. But yeah, he's a he's a little roller. Yet he will complain and he'll fidget and he'll carry on when you try and hose him off. <laughs> so. We need to get a giant bathtub. He needs a bath, not a shower. That's what it is. Oh, that's he wants it. He's a bathtub. That's it. I know. I try to divert the attention away by feeding them as soon as they've been bathed so that they forget about rolling at least for a little bit. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's talk about some of your adventures over the last month. It's always one of my favorite parts of the show. Okay. Well, the last ride I did was the Death Valley Encounter, which is held um, historically December 28th through the 31st, and it's a really long time endurance ride. It's been going on for decades. And it's, um, you know, it's always an adventure. It's a lot of fun because it's, you know, we've just gotten through Christmas and, and we ride all the way through the 31st, which is New Year's. And so one of the traditions that, that I've done for the last 12 or 14 years is I always bring party hats that I that I make up for the riders to put on their horses on on December 31st. So you'll see all this field of horses going out with their little um, New Year's party hats on, and it's kind of fun because from miles away you can see the um, the reflection and the the light hitting the party hats, and it's just kind of a fun thing that the horses get to celebrate the New Year um, before the people do. Well, Arabians are certainly used to bling and having stuff all over them. So they are. Some people think that their horses won't handle the hats, but most of them do. Most of them deal with it pretty well. It's just one more thing. Right. <laughs> They're riding 100 miles. They can deal with a hat. Right. And then um, on one of the mornings, I had gone out and fed, and then the next thing I know, I was getting ready to come back out to start to tack up my horse and I hear a bunch of yelling and commotion and turns out a couple of horses had gotten loose and ran through a hot wire fence and ran through another horse that broke its high tie and now there's three horses running around camp and they're running through everybody's camp and oh, no. um, 
I know, and it actually, because it was dark, still it's winter, so there's short daylight hours. So I didn't know until I finished riding that day, but the horses had ran through the, the front porch of my trailer where all my chairs and the tables and the dog bed and all that stuff was set up and kind of scattered it all over the place. And then they turned and ran and um, ran into my horse. Really? <laughs> oh. And, um, yeah, he was just, you know, minding his own business on the trailer eating, and these two horses came and ran um, and slammed right into him from the back. And um, it definitely dazed him. I got out there and got him up, and he was kind of almost standing on two feet, so I decided I'd walk him over and have the vets look at him. And fortunately, by the time I got almost over there, he was he had walked out of it and he was appeared to be fine. So it it was okay, but that's what I get for last month when I talked about um, preparing for camping and safety um, and getting your horse used to camping ahead of time. That's kind of, um, that was my karma there. (laughs) I guess that is kind of a big disaster because when those horses get spooked and running full speed, they can do some damage to themselves and others. They can, especially if they are dragging stuff. And, and that's the, one of the problems with some of these electric hot wire fences that people use. Um, when the horses are blanketed, they're not as likely to feel the, the zaps from it. So they don't yeah, always, always respect yeah. it. Yeah. We always yeah. had that problem with the electric fence, too, when we put the blankets on. Right, right. Some so, just do. I'm, they knew they could walk through it when they were wearing a heavy blanket. They just knew. Yeah, they just would push it over. <laughs> just not even care. Right, right. Yes. So, so yeah, it's just there's always it's always an adventure camping. It's uh, you know a lot of about endurance riding is avoiding the the wrecks waiting to happen and you know staying out of trouble and and as it turned out everything was okay. I I rode all four days. Um, it was a two two hundred miles, and uh, we had a pretty good ride and uh, perfect weather. It was really nice. Um, the turnout is dropping a little bit. It wasn't as good as the year before, um, but I think that's kind of just a reflection of the economy in general. I think. Do you think um, the people, economy or the weather in some places? Because the weather's been so well, bad the, too. The weather d- does affect it, but in this case, the weather was perfect. So. Um, no, I meant the weather, the weather in the. I meant weather in places where people might have been coming from was so bad. That could have been the case. Um, it, we hadn't gotten that really cold snap yet that wasn't till recently but um you know it's just you know it adds up the cost of the the gas and the entry fees and and everything else so i think some people are cutting back on the amount of rides that they're doing and and that's affecting the rides to some degree so so we're hoping you know through this show we can maybe get more people interested in giving endurance riding a try because we do need to keep bringing in new members yeah, definitely, definitely, and that's a you know a problem that goes across many of the disciplines in the horse world, is is you know try, driving the same way, trying to keep you know new people coming in, you know driving especially because it's such an older crowd. Um, that uh, well, and and endurance can't <coughs> cannot um, depend quite so much on spectators as many other sports do because obviously, you're, yeah, you're just not going to have a lot have a lot of spectators out there in Death Valley. <laughs> right. You know what they need to do? Yes. They need to get a couple of those little quadcopters they have now, and they can film y'all from above. Yeah, we could you get know? those drones. 
Yeah. 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 And and live, live feed helmet cam. GoPro live feed. That would be kind of fun. Can you imagine Karen coming over one of those hills and, and the mountains and having this quadcopter right in front of your face? Yeah, that that the horses would love that too. No disaster there. <laughs> yeah, especially if there's a big drop off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, you uh, you actually put together a list for us that we wanted to talk about this morning before we get to our first guest. And you know, we talked on the phone the other day, and after we talked on the phone, you came up with this list, and it's the uh, top it's the top twenty list of you could be an endurance rider if. And we've all seen yes. these lists for various things, and I I love the one that you've put together here. And I thought what we'd do, I'm not sure we can get to all of them before our first guest, but we'll finish them up later in the show if we don't. Okay. So why don't you start with number 20 and work our way back. Okay, I will. You can be an endurance writer if, number 20, you won't consider going to the doctor unless an artery is literally spurting blood all over the pavement or a bone is sticking out. Yet you will take your horse in if they are the tiniest bit off. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true of horse people in general, don't you, Jennifer? This is just a general horse yeah. person statement here. Yeah. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody yep. must, no, no horse girl I've ever known will voluntarily go to the doctor. Their horse husband or boyfriend has to drag him there. Pretty much, yes. It has to be bleeding or, like I said, a bone sticking out. <laughs> Pretty much the only times Jennifer's voluntarily gone to the hospital has been both of those cases. Spurting blood or a bone sticking out. That's been the only time. Oh, I can't tell you the number of, of people I know that have finished rides with broken bones or with bad injuries. I've known a couple people that have, while they were off tailing their horse, they got kicked and their jaw broken, and they still Ooh. went on to finish the ride. I mean, endurance riders are pretty tough. <laughs> well, you don't have a choice at some point. Once you're past the last checkpoint, you guys have to keep going, right? I mean, In a lot do? of cases, yes, because there's no, you know, you need to get back to camp somehow. You know, hopefully you're conscious and able to to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number nineteen. Winter is the only time of the year that housework gets done. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that pretty much be, true for all horse people. <laughs> yeah, that might be an exaggeration a little bit too. <laughs> No, I no, don't it's think not. it's much of one. Be honest. And it's the only time the car gets clean, too. Let's add that to the list. The only yep, time the truck gets clean. Exactly. We're not able to spend time out in the barn, you know, in the daylight most of the time or when the weather's decent. Then, yeah, then we have time to clean our houses. Okay, uh, number 18. You know you're surrounded by the best horsemen in the world when they stop on the trail to lend you a helping hand, even if it means losing their placing position. I think that is an endurance thing. You don't see that too many other sports. Well, and it's uh-huh. also one of the few sports where that's allowed in the rules. You know, in, in many, many disciplines, that would cause one or both to be eliminated. So, um, it, and it, so it's cultural as well as, as disciplinary. And that, that it, you're, I agree with Glenn. That's, that's a really cool aspect of endurance riding that people are so right. very willing to set aside the pure competitive competitiveness to better the sport and better their fellow competitors to help others because you know eventually that person that needs help is going to be you right (laughs) so you're kind of paying it forward 
right. Number 17, you referred to your horse as your therapist. Yeah, well, and you guys especially, I mean, I think, again, that, that crosses all, all, horse peop- all horse people, but you guys mm-hmm. especially because you spend so much time on your horse. I mean, so much time. Right. Your horse is the only one you have to talk to in many cases. Exactly. Or they're the only ones that listen. <laughs> the rest just kind of zone, zone out when we're talking endlessly about our horses, you know. And yeah. stuff. I know. So number 16, your non-horse friends look at you weird because your house is full of horse tack, your closet full of stretch pants, and you don't think twice about using your dishwasher to wash horse tack. <laughs> I put an end to that years ago. I said, no, you're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> And she's been pretty good about it, i got to say. I haven't oh, seen good. a bit in the dishwasher in a long time. I, okay, I, I well, bet that's... you, I'd be willing to bet that um, there are not a lot of other disciplines that wash their tack in a dishwasher. And I know a lot of, of driving folk use the beta or biothane harnesses, but it doesn't fit uh-huh. the dishwasher. It's too big. It doesn't fit, So yeah. I think that's unique to the endurance group. Yeah. Probably, probably, yes, because other traditional types of tack you probably shouldn't put in a dishwasher. Probably not. <laughs> but, but it works, yeah, it does a great job of cleaning the biothane stuff. Or even hoof boots. They're great for, it's great for that, too. Hey, i got to tell you, I'm so excited because uh, this house we live in now that we're renting is part of a big farm or a, a you know, half-decent-sized farm. And it has a barn with a washer and dryer, so I don't even have to have the the saddle pads and the blankets and stuff washed in the house one anymore either. Yay! Oh, good. That's great. Yeah, I'm so excited about I that. I know we all get in trouble for that, for washing the yes, saddle pads and the washer and the hair clogging everything up. So yes, I have friends that they have to sneak <laughs> and do it when their husbands aren't home. Well, then... <laughs> Then you gotta wash it. You gotta run the dry, the washer a second time empty to get all the hair off the sides. I know, I know. <laughs> blah, right, blah, blah 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you you can take a pee in the poison ivy so fast that it can't even catch you. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> See, this is why I determined, I was thinking for a little while when we first started doing this show that, you know, I'm getting my car that would be, would be uh, good for doing some endurance driving. It should come in next <laughs> week. And I got my pony now that would probably be pretty good, and I think he would enjoy that. But I can't go that long without peeing. I would be peeing. I would never win a race, ever, because <laughs> of having to stop 55 times to pee in a 25-mile race. I just couldn't do it. Anyway. Right, right. I know. Maybe it depends. Okay, number... Maybe depends is the way to go. Yeah, there you go. I know. Number <laughs> number fourteen. You can find a digital pulse, gut sounds, and heart rate quicker than the average Joe can change his underwear. <laughs> That's pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, you guys are really good at that. <laughs> really yes. good at that. I would say the next two you guys would be the eventers when it comes to that. But you you have that down. No question. Right. You have to do it about right. 12 times a day. I know. Well, you know, and, and it's great experience to, to work as a volunteer at a ride because then you really get good at checking heart rates and getting pulses and stuff, um, and, you know, and seeing the difference between the different horses and, and figuring out, you know, where to put the stethoscope and, and that sort of thing. So it's, um, 
it, it's good to know those things. It's really useful, you know, for any horse person to know those things. I bet you there's still a ton of people. I don't know if we have one right now. Do we have a uh, stethoscope right now, Jennifer? We do not. I know. We're one we of the use... ones that preaches that yeah. you should have a stethoscope. <laughs> we don't even have yeah. one right ah. now. Nope. Yes, I yeah. don't have one. I've got stethoscopes all over in my trailer. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and don't bother to buy that. Don't bother to buy the nine dollar one. It, yeah. No. You, can, you, you can't. You can't hear a thunderstorm with one of those. You got to get the good one. Well, the ones I use came from the fire department, and because um, years ago I was an, a volunteer for search and rescue, and I became certified as an EMT. And and when you do the ambulance ride-alongs, you really need a good stethoscope because you know it's one thing to listen to your horse's heart rate. But when you're going code three in an ambulance with an injured patient, I mean, you really need a stethoscope where you can can hear. And so those are like the best stethoscopes in the world to have, because if if you can hear in those kind of conditions in a real emergency, then you know it makes listening to the horse's heart rate really easy. Where do you so buy, I, where I do you buy a good Where do you go to buy a good one? Um, do you have? A- you know. Probably the best advice I could say is to contact your local fire department and ask them. Okay. They, you know, because I haven't had to buy any for years because I've got, you know, half a dozen of them all over. So, but, um, yeah, having a good stethoscope is something that um, it's worth having as a horse person and becoming familiar with, you know, how to check poles and gut sounds is really important. Okay, num- on to numbers. Let's see, we're up to 13. You know it's possible to have a complete conversation with a person while passing each other at a working trot going opposite directions. In this brief encounter, you can exchange information on weather, vet stops, horse health, and never miss a stride. (laughs) (laughs) Learn to talk really fast. (laughs) Yes, you kind of do. You know, you can exchange, yeah, it's a nice day. How's your horse doing? How far is it to the vet check? You know, if they're coming out of it and you're going in, I mean, you can trade all those things in like a matter of, you know, 15 seconds and and nobody really even needs to slow down. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) And on to number 12, you are more likely to survive being stranded in Death Valley than Survivor Man is. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good, too. (laughs) Do they have uh, training courses for endurance riders on, you know, how to build fires with a stick and, you know, how to uh, kill wild animals in case you're stuck out there for weeks on end? Do they do they well, we have do, those? No, but we do talk about, you know, carrying maybe some matches with you in case you, you know, do get stranded overnight somewhere that you can start a fire to stay warm and just basic um, orienteering so you kind of have an idea of, you know where you're at. Where you're which direction to north? Heading. <laughs> which direction? Yes, exactly. Some riders are so directionally challenged um, that they could be, you know, a quarter mile from camp, and and they'll start going the wrong way away from camp. Um, well, the places you, know, that's you why ride, especially, that would be so easy. I mean, in the middle of the woods or out there in the desert. I mean, it's so easy to lose lose track of right. which way north. 
Yes, and some of the rides, especially if you're riding and, and the train's all similar and it's foggy or something, it really makes it difficult to orient yourself and to know which way you're supposed to be going or where something is. I like the rides where you have a you know great big huge mountain range or something so that you always know where that is in relation to camp and, and where you're supposed to be heading. What you, and What do you carry for navigation? Do you carry a traditional compass as well as a GPS? I, or? I, ride, with a, I ride with a GPS. That way I can always follow my tracks backwards if I need to. And and one of the things I always do when I get to a new ride is I mark a waypoint for camp so that no matter what happens, I can always go to that waypoint and it'll direct me, you know, point me how, which direction to go and how to get back. Hmm. Interesting. What happens if your battery dies? Yeah. Well, that's... (laughs) That's the same thing. Um, you carry, you know, a couple extra batteries. Mine runs on two AA's, so I usually try to carry a couple extra batteries with me in my saddle pack so that if it does die, um, you know, you can change it. And, so you know, it's not and, the same the kind GPS of GPS that we would use in our car. It's not like right, a, a little, gel and GPS you put in your car. No, it's not like a movie or one of, you know, one of the... Um, the auto routing ones. They're us- the ones that you use for riding or, you know, the same kind that people use for hiking and backpacking and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. I think a GPS, I think, is the one that tells you to make a U-turn. Yeah. Right. Yes, recalculate. Recalculate. <laughs> <laughs> you're recalculate the whole time. <laughs> you are not on the <laughs> yes, yeah, well, Make the first legal yeah. U-turn. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of the rides will download GPS tracks onto your device for you. So then, you know, you never have to worry about being lost. The only problem is, is then you need to actually look at the GPS often enough to to make sure that you are indeed on the correct trail. So they're very useful things to have. Do you keep it strapped to your saddle, to your arm? How do you keep it? Um, I have a lanyard that goes on mine, and I put it around my neck, and then I keep it in a shirt pocket. And I okay. can pull it out real quickly. Mine is also a camera. So when you see on, you know, my blog or Facebook, all the photos I post, that was, those pictures have been taken with my Jeep Garmin GPS, which huh. it's really handy because that way I just have one device. And oh, I don't have cool. to, you know, juggle really? multiple devices. And it's waterproof, which is, you know, for an endurance rider, that's a really handy thing to have because I can't tell you how many cameras I've um, lost from riding in the rain, even though I tried to keep them in a plastic bag or something safe. Um, You know, when you're out there all day in the rain, stuff is just going to get wet. Hey, do this uh, for for your next episode here. By the way, uh, you're always on the second Tuesday of every month. For your next mm-hmm. episode, why don't you make that your product uh, your product review is that and which model it is and all that stuff. And that okay. way, uh, people who are interested in picking one up. We can give them a link to it. Right, right. Yes, they're very affordable now. Um, you know, compared to even ten years ago, they're more affordable and they do more and. Um, yeah, they're really handy. I, you know, years ago when I started writing, I started out using a heart monitor. And, you know, now I think the most important device that I ride with is my GPS. I think it's that that tells me even more, and I've learned a lot more from its use than I have from anything else. Huh. So, yeah, that's a good well, idea. All right, now we'll we're on to number 11. Uh, this is a good yeah, one. Well, well, 
we'll run through number 11 here, and then uh, we'll have to get to your product review. Okay. Sounds good. All right. You know precisely the speed of your horse's working trot at all times, but you haven't got a clue how fast you were going when the cop pulls you over on the interstate. (laughs) 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 And how true that is. Yes. All right. Um, Let's uh, we'll continue more of this list. We're up to the top ten. Okay. Oh, very good list, by the way. Uh, so we're we're going to continue that a little later in the show. But right now we have to talk about your product review before we get to your first guest. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about Renegade Hoof Boots. Um, they're made in the USA. Oh. They come in, I think, about eight different colors, so you can coordinate them to match your tack or just you know be colorful. They're um, very easy to use. A lot of the older riders choose to use them because you don't need any tools to put them on or to take them off. Um, there's just two straps of Velcro that you use to um, tighten on the toe strap, and then the pastern strap goes on um, if it's loosely, so that the boot, once it's on, it moves with the horse so that it, it's not causing interference, um, very unlikely to have any rubs, or any kind of problems from the boot. And the horses do really well in them. I, I just did the four-day ride at, at Death Valley, which um, the, for those that have done it, it's um, a mix of a lot of sand, some really deep sand for miles, and a ton of rocks. And rocks, as we know, can be really hard on stuff like hoof boots. And I rode um, all four days in the same boots, and they did just awesome. I did a lot of cantering in them, and um, they did just terrific. You know, I would take them off each day, and the horse's feet and pastern, you would never know that I had anything on them, but they provided the protection that I needed to get through, you know, the, the rockiest, nastiest sections of trail, plus they're really a benefit to use when you are going through deep sand, because they kind of act almost like having a a horseshoe on, your horse isn't sinking quite as deep when they have the boots on in the sand. So they're very, um, you know, useful to have, um, and I've been using them for many, many years now, and they're a, a great product, like I said, made in the USA, and uh, for those that want to learn more about them, go to renegadehoofboots.com. Very good. Thank you for that. Now, we have your first guest coming up, and we, we have to talk a little bit. Before we get to we we, we had to record these interviews uh, simply because they were not available this morning this early. And But let's talk about your guest, but also about, uh, about the FEI deal that we're going to be speaking about with her. Right. Yes, there's a big controversy right now going on. AERC has come up. Um, some of the that's committees the, have come let's up. Let's remind everybody what that is. American Endurance Ride Conference. And they've come up with a motion that they would like to um, possibly pass. And there's a lot of discussion. It's a really emotionally heated um, issue. A lot of debating going on right now. Um, people are picking sides, and they're very vocal, very, like I said, it's a very emotional thing. There's been allegations in the Middle East and uh, FEI Endurance, which is international, which is a separate thing than, than the American Endurance Right Conference. So 
the allegations are that there's been uh, drugging, and that's probably been validated by all the positive drug tests. And then, yeah, that helps. Um, <laughs> yes, that kind of helps. And so AARC is demanding a little bit of transparency and some punishment for these people that are having these positive drug tests. But even you know more concerning are the horse fatalities. It's been rumored that something like 80 horses died last year, mainly from fractures, because they are renting them, you know, I think through the use of probably being drugged and, you know, there's a lot of money involved and money, you know, when you throw in a lot of money with horses, the horses are never on the winning end of that at all. So um, this motion is to try to... um, resolve some of these issues and to, to stop them, to stop the, the alleged abuse. And, and so um, what AARC has come up with on this motion is in one sense they kind of want to disassociate AARC. They don't want FEI to tarnish AARC's reputation um, because, you know, in this country we do, you know, endurance isn't, treated the same as it is on the SEI level and and our local rides, you know, most of the riders are there to complete, they're not there to race. So um, it's just just one of those issues where, um, you know, there's a lot of controversy involved. And so this morning what we're going to do is talk a little bit about that with an AARC international member, Sue Summers. And so she's going to fill us in a little bit more about what what that is, what's going on with that, and um, you know, and hopefully, you know, in the end, it, it something is going to be done. I think everybody, no matter which side they're on, they're concerned about horse welfare and they really want to do what's best for the horse. And Sue's been competing in endurance since 1989, has over 18,000 miles. In 2013, she placed third in the hundred at the AERC National Championship. And uh, her husband's going to be on a little bit later, too. They're a husband and wife team and a, and a lot of fun to chat with and, and obviously one of the stalwarts uh, of, uh, in the endurance world here in the United States. So uh, we got to catch up with them the other day. Let's take a listen to Sue. Hi, Sue. Thanks for joining the show this morning. Thanks for having me. And we're um, going to be talking about a topic right now that's a current hot topic with AERC, a little bit, and that's the FEI AARC controversy with, um, you know, horse welfare issues. So could you give us a quick overview of that situation? Sure. Um, Basically, um, there's been some problems going on in some of the other countries with endurance, especially at the high level. Um, And uh, some of that, that has been about fairness and welfare of the horse. Um, and the U.S. and some of the European countries all just kind of wanted to band together and see what we can do and get it more of a fair playing field and make sure that the welfare of the horse is the top priority. So that's pretty much what's been going on. Right, and there's a motion that um, some of the committees within AERC have come up with that they want to have the board vote on. Um, what do you think about that motion? I think... I think um, there's some parts of it that are good, and I think both the AERC members and the FEI members have all good points to bring to it, and I think if they can work together on it, they can come up with a plan um, to best work out 
for the welfare what? of the horse and and to make everything work out um, in the long run. What's in the motion? The, what are they? What are you? What what are the? What are we trying to change? What what changes are we trying to implement rather? Well, they're just basically trying to um, make it so there's a fairer playing field for everybody in the whole world that competes together, and that the welfare of the horse. Um, is definitely a top priority. The U.S. riders have always been known to take really good care of their horses and to be really top riders and and stuff. And um, the Europeans also, and they're just trying to make it more fair um, from what they've seen happening in some of the other countries in the Middle East. Can can we have some examples? You know, is it drug related? Is it uh, fitness related? Or all of the above? Probably all of the above. Yeah. And so what, what do you think, will AARC um, maybe make some modifications to this motion when they meet at the, um, the conference in March? I'm hoping that um, AARC, and the, um, and AARC can work with the FBI writers and AARC International and come up with something that everybody's happy with. Okay. And so as the motion is now, it, it probably needs to have a few changes made to it in order to reasonably be passed and to be implemented? Correct. And I believe the biggest issue is the time frame involved. And um, I think everybody would like to either, either word it in a different way where, where there wasn't a time frame, um, but you came up with some different solutions, or the time, change was, time frame was changed. Um, or something to that effect. And I think they're I think they're getting pretty close with being able to work with each other for a good solution. Right. And what do you think if AARC does follow through with with this motion and other countries do? What's the likelihood that we will actually be able to um, affect some change? Um, I think it's pretty good. But I don't think um, – the part that I'm really concerned about is we've always believed that 100-mile rides are the creme de la creme of our sport, and that's really what endurance riding is all about. And um, I'm just afraid if we do some sort of a separation or something that we're going to lose um, lose the ability to have – the numbers of those kind of rides that we want to because I think FEI and AERC need to work together and we need need those level of rides to um, continue with the sport as we know it. Are they, talk, are, are they talking about eliminating that, the 100 well, miles? Well, that could be one possibility. That's one of the highest things that we're concerned about if there is a separation. So what's that mean? That you, the, the longest race would drop to 75 or 50? Um, probably just find it, it's a, it's totally a financial thing that uh, a lot of the FDI rides financially help pay for the AERC rides, especially in the 100 mile distances. Um, one of the things in the motion, Glenn, is that AERC would no longer co-sanction an FEI ride in conjunction with an AERC ride, which would then make it almost too expensive for any of our regular AERC riders to ride on an international level. Is that right, Correct. too? Okay. And would that also Correct. being that exactly. aren't, there more, aren't there more, a, I can never say it, AERC, aren't there more of riders on the rides, on these rides, there are. aren't there more of those riders than FEI riders anyway? Uh, FEI riders really only um, are about 6% of our AERC membership. So if you had, had had to have a separate event, they just wouldn't happen. You couldn't afford to do an event just for the FEI guys. 
Exactly right. Mm-hmm. And you pretty you have to ride at that level to ever, to be able to compete at um, the large rides all around the world. So it would pretty much put the U.S. out of competing um, at that level around the world. So that's why we're really wanting to work with AERC and come up with a good solution that makes that you know everybody happy with. We can continue our hundred mile rides that really um, is how the sport whole you know started and um, kind of go from there. Now, this is different. Let me let me touch on this for a little bit from an outsider looking in. This is different than, than let's take eventing or dressage, where, you know, everybody competes at the lower levels. So, the, through, you know, most of the time you're going to compete, at, you know, when you get past uh, novice, you're going to start competing at, uh, at, at, the, uh, at the higher levels, and you're going to be under the USEF or the USDF the Dressage Federation or the Eventing Association. And then you're going to compete, and basically your goal is to get to the FEI level at some point. That's the natural progression. That is not necessarily the case. Like, Karen, you're not an FEI competitor, yet you're one of the the top competitors here in the United States with the AERC. Where did that – why is there a disconnect with endurance when there doesn't seem to – it's everybody's goal in these other sports to eventually get to the FEI level, not necessarily so with, with endurance. Definitely not. It's a very small percentage in endurance that want to ride at that level, and that's the real beauty about the sport of endurance is everybody can do whatever level they want, get along, um, you know, ride with their family, their spouse, and, you know, nobody feels any pressure to ride fast, to ride long. You know, everybody should be able to be happy and do what they want, but... I really would hate to lose the ability for the people that want to ride at that level to get to that level. Karen, why did you why did you ever have a desire to do FEI and international and all that? Um, no, not really, because it, it is very expensive, and I just enjoy you know riding a, a lot of rides, and you can't really do that if you're more serious about competing. Okay. Yeah, Dennis and I rode FEI for about 15 years, and. Um, traveled all over doing it, and we haven't in probably the last four or five years. I think our last FEI ride was maybe four years ago. And for the, some of the same reasons, I mean, we really enjoyed it when we did it. We have no children, and it was uh, pretty easy for us. We're self-employed, so we could travel. And, and Yeah, you uh, probably wouldn't have gone to some of the places you went to if you had to, had to do it without competition. We wouldn't have gone to some of the places we went to, and we wouldn't have met a lot of the people we've met. We have friends pretty much all over the world now and and um, can travel and visit and they come to the U.S. and visit us and we ride each other's horses and you know there was a lot of good that came out of riding FEI. So Sue you and Dennis have been riding together for over 20 years now? Yep about 25 since 89. Oh my god Sue before you go on you know what (laughs) you have just made half the three quarters of the audience which are women, you know, 90% of our audience is women, they have just said, oh, my God, he's the perfect guy. I've been looking for this guy, and I got the schmuck that doesn't even like to help clean the stalls. Right. Yeah, they're all jealous of you right now. Tell them, get, right. tell them a negative about it so that it makes them feel better. <laughs> oh, man, that's a tough one. We've actually done really well riding together for all these years. <laughs> so this is not what they want to hear. <laughs> no, it, it isn't. I guess I'm pretty lucky. <laughs> Oh, but he takes half the money. See, you would have had that for the horses right. if he hadn't been into it. But then he did been playing golf, and that cost money. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, right. Can't even use that one. 
Okay, Sue, we, um, one of the things we do also want to cover this morning is about um, Dennis's book, Fourth Gear, Power Up Your Endurance Horse, Tips for Taking Your Endurance Horse to the Next Level. And um, we're going to interview Dennis next, but first with you, um, he suggested that you, um, your specialties are hoof care, um, feeding, vitamins, and minerals. So can you tell us a little bit about um you know, I know it's going to be kind of brief, but just cover a little bit what your recommendations are on those topics. Sure. And and, and really quickly, I'll go back to the riding together as husband and wife. I think the, we get asked it all the time, and I think one of the reasons it works for us is um, we pretty much divided up the duties in the sport in this way and pretty much feel like that's each of ours expertise, and we um, trust each other in our um, decision-making on that. And so he, he's pretty much the, I'm a farrier, and um, I'm pretty much in charge of feet, and I research all the feed and electrolytes and all that kind. So that's my, my deal. And then he's amazing at selection of horses, conditioning horses, figuring out what rides they should go to. So we, we, we work with each other on that, and we kind of feel like if one horse, you know, if a particular horse does well, we both get the credit because we both had part in it. But so that's kind of the husband and wife thing. So on the, the shoeing um, feet, uh, I'm definitely into a one-size-does-not-fit-all. We may have four horses show up at a race, and there may be two in glue-on boots, one in steel nail-on shoes, and one in aluminum shoes. I think you really have to figure out what works best for that horse in that terrain. And I see too many people get stuck in a fad and mm-hmm. try and do that with all their horses, and I think that's where you really run into trouble. All right, and tell us um, a little bit about your feeding program. Okay, um, we're somewhat minimalist. Um, we have had to learn to um, change it up a little bit because in about four years ago we bought a house um, in a place down in Arizona. We normally live in North Washington, northeastern Washington State, where our horses free roam on 109 acres of um, pasture. So it was a real challenge when we came to Arizona onto two acres of dry lot, how to take care of them. But basically on our, um, when we're in Washington for about eight months of the year, they are free-ranged on grass. Um, we do supplement them with hay 24-7 also all the time because we don't like the idea that they could be going to a ride and being pulled off the grass and put it on dry hay. Mm-hmm. So they get both. Um, down in here, here in Arizona, they are obviously just hayed. Um, which spooks me some, but so far we haven't had any trouble with it. Um, we're not real big grain feeders. We do feed Ultium, which is a, somewhat of a high-fat, low-sugar grain. About our two things we're real big on is selenium, and we have to really change that up between Arizona and Washington. Washington's a very low selenium state, so we have to, in our haze, in our pasture, so we have to supplement uh, a lot with it. When we came down here to Arizona, most of our hay comes from Colorado, and it's pretty high in selenium. So we have to adjust for that. Um, our other big item we're big on is magnesium, and we do feed a pretty high level of magnesium and change it up um, depending on how much pasture they're on. The more pasture and the less, more lush the pasture is, the more magnesium you need to feed. Wow. That's pretty much it. We're not uh, real big on a ton of different things. We do free um, choice minerals. We leave uh, a good just all-around mineral out and let the horses free choice on it. And so 
tell me a little bit why why the magnesium? What does it do? Um, I, I have to get back up and read on all scientifically uh-huh. really what it does, but it has to do with I believe potassium and calcium and some at all um, balancing out when they're on pasture, and it has it it, it affects the nervous system. I believe, and the nerves, and it can um, calm them down quite a bit. It can keep them from being so highly reactive to spooking. Um, and, okay. And, and I'm kind of a um, results person, and I know when they're on it. Oh, okay. Most of this stuff goes away, and when they're not on it, <laughs> it, it comes back. So. Okay, yes, I've heard that it can um, kind of um, calm a horse. Make them seem yeah. a little bit calmer and maybe less reactive. Exactly. You know, instead of spooking six feet, they might just look and take a little jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish there was a magic cure for that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're just about out of time for um, your section of this, Sue. So I want to thank you okay. again for joining us and um, talking to us this morning. Well, that was Sue Summers, and uh, her husband will be back with us here in a few minutes. So we'll be looking forward to talking to him. You know, I, my wife and I have obviously been working together for a lot of years, so so we've made it work. But there, I don't know there are a lot of couples that probably couldn't make that work. Okay, I don't yeah, know if I have Karen here with tricky. me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope yeah, Karen's still here. Yeah, Karen, he's I'm still, still here. here. I'm okay, still here. Good. Oh, good. Yeah, so I don't know if they could. Could you Could you and your, if your husband was into horses, could you have made it work? You know, I don't know. We ran a business together for about 14 years, and so we got through that. So I think we probably could. I, I think it's nice that we share different interests. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. That's probably yeah. true, and we've talked about this at, at endlessly. You know, you know when, each, yeah. That, you know what that really means? That means you stay the heck out of my barn. That's what that really means. <laughs> That's right. I got you, Karen. I'm Don't on your side. <laughs> I won't play with your golf clubs. You don't play with my horses. <laughs> there you go. I stay out of his... He's into astronomy, so I stay out of his observatory. <laughs> <laughs> and you have... That really doesn't bother you, does it, not having to look at the stars all day? Well, you know what the all best day. part is? Is when he's doing his astro- astronomy stuff, he needs dark skies. So that means that when there's a full moon, which is usually when there's a hundred mile ride, he's available to crew. <laughs> <laughs> Works out perfectly. And he can bring it a telescope. It kind of does. <laughs> right. Well, let's take a break for our song. I picked one out that I thought would be very appropriate for the endurance community today. And then we're going to come back and we're actually going to meet the new owners of our title sponsor, Action Rider Tax, because that has recently changed ownership. And we thought it would be good to to meet the new owners. And then we're going to go talk to Dennis. Uh, Sue's husband. Uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit also. And he's got some tips for endurance riding coming right up. But first, a little Templeton Thompson and her song, When I Get That Pony Road. Mm-hmm. 
When I Get That Pony Road by Templeton Thompson. You can find all of Templeton's music at templetonthompson.com. And I think that could be the theme song for endurance riders. You are <laughs> listening to Horses in the Morning. I am Glenn the Geek. I am here with Karen Chatton. And also Coach Jen is in the producer chair. We are brought to you today by Action Rider Tack. And, you know, when we started with Action Rider Tack, I think uh, everybody in the endurance community knew who the owners were and, and, and knew them very well. What's well, recently changed hands, and I've asked the new owner and marketing director to come on and talk a little bit about Action Rider Tack and the new direction of the company. So we have Carla with us and also Sarah with us. Carla, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm well. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for getting up early. I know that uh, you guys uh, had a long last couple of days because you were out at WISA, which is the Western Equestrian Trade Show out there in Denver. So we appreciate you uh, rising and shining early this morning. It was no worries. (laughs) Well, tell me a little bit about yourself and and why you decided to uh, buy Action Rider Tack. Well, I've been riding um, my whole life. But I decided to buy Action Rider Tech um, because I was in I was in working in the corporate world for over 20 years and uh, flying all over the country and um, involved in in field sales finance and I just wanted an opportunity to do something that was a little closer to the heart and a whole lot closer to home. So the opportunity presented itself and I'm pretty well embedded in the community here locally with some community work that I do as well and so I just grabbed it while I could. I, that sounds familiar because I was also in finance and then uh, went in to buy a tech or to start a tech business. So I know the story. Uh, so now, why Action Rider? Was there a reason that, that it was it because it was local that uh, it really caught your eye? It was because it was local. Um, it, it just fit my needs. She she caters, obviously, everybody knows, to endurance and trail. And, right, and I right. am a Western and a trail rider myself. So really the fit the fit was there. I'm, I am learning. I have a wonderful staff, and they've been really great trying to teach me all the things that there is to know about endurance. Um, just incredible athletes, those of you that do that. Uh, and I'm learning. So thank you all for your patience. But really just a a, a great fit for me. And Sarah, now you're the marketing director of uh, the new marketing director for Action Rider Tech? I am. And uh, actually I did work for um, the previous owner, and so um, I continued on when Carla purchased the business just recently. Okay, so you were in uh, in deep in the endurance world uh, from the previous owner then? Well, um, not actually personally. Um, I have learned a lot about the endurance world since um, working at Action Rider Tech for several years now. Um, but my background is, uh, my formal background is with the British Horse Society, and I'm a British Horse Society instructor. And so all, these, all that knowledge obviously um, is very useful for any decisions in the horse world, including the endurance world. Um, you know, horses are horses and bridles and saddles and so forth. So all that formal knowledge really helps me understand what is required for the endurance horses. Um, the one sport that I participated in that seems to uh, transfer to the endurance world mostly is, is three-day eventing. And mm-hmm. just the fitness required of the horse and rider is, 
is uh, you know ha- is uh, really important. Yeah, the only real big difference is the endurance riders really try not to jump things that are that high. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, Karen. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Not on purpose, anyway. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. What what upcoming shows and events are you planning to be at? Well, we've uh, we've not made any definite plans um, with what exact shows we were going to be at this year. I think simply because uh, we just launched a brand new website and we're trying to work through that and me just getting my head wrapped around the business. I know that our involvement with uh, a lot of those shows with the previous owner was really important and we have plans to certainly support and you know in a in a, a good fashion so but we haven't made any definitive plans okay i did notice the new website is terrific by the way guys good job thank you mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's it's easy to get around uh it's simple to navigate which are the things that i want when i'm shopping you know i, I don't want to have to fuss and find i don't want to have to spend time finding what i'm looking for i want to find what i'm looking for buy it and get out and I know there's lots of people that like to that do it just the opposite. There's two types of shoppers in the world. I'm the <laughs> shopper that gets in and gets out, and then there's the shoppers who want to, you know, walk down the aisle. Uh, and and I think that your website uh, will accommodate both of those now at ActionRiderTech.com. Thank you. That's great to hear. Yeah. So good job with that. Now, you know, is the wholesale wholesale side still with it too? Uh, no, no. She, okay. uh, Can- Candace kept the wholesale um, okay. separately, so sure no, that. we don't have that. Okay, I wasn't sure about that. So tell us, uh, you were down, I assume, at uh, WISA, which is the what is the Western Equestrian Trade Association uh, show. Were you down there as buyers looking for new stuff? Yes, we were, yes. And what an overwhelming experience it was. This was my first experience with it, and I just I had to really work hard to not walk around with my mouth gaping open the first day, but it, it is quite an experience. You have to work hard at not coming home with ten bags full of stuff for your personal self, too. Well, there was that problem, too, in the 90 pounds of catalogs that each of us came home with last night. But anyway. Yeah. Wow. That show is so much bigger than the one we go to over here. Eight is coming up, the American Equestrian Trade Association in Philadelphia, and we'll be there. We actually do our show, Horses in the Morning, live from there in two weeks. We'll be doing live from there. But that, your show is so much bigger than this one, and, and it's, you're right. It's just kind of overwhelming, isn't it? It, re- it really, really is. And, and we, you know, we tried really hard to make um, good choices about how many appointments per day and I, I, I feel like for our first time, at least my first time, not Sarah's first time, there was only one person we had an appointment with that we just completely blew off only because we spent about an hour trying to find them. And just we couldn't find them. The people that put the place, you know, put the whole thing together couldn't find them. And I just had had enough. So I, you know, I'll call them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, what, did you see any new trends? Was there something? Did you have favorites? Uh, new new things that uh, were your favorites at this show? Uh, I don't know that I had. There was definitely some things that um, I saw that were appealing to me. I don't know if there was anything new, Sarah. Well, there is um, a couple of um, companies. Um, the gal we talked with at. Um, who represents horseware, also um, they're bringing in a new leg uh, 
um, wrap line that actually is kind of a cold therapy. And so um, because of the amount of time we had and, you know, all the people milling around, she's going to come and show that to us later. So that's something to heads up to look for on the website possibly. But um, w- right now we carry Ice Horse, which has a couple of very nice products um, for cooling the legs after um, exercising that I personally use also on my horse. And um, those are very easy to use um, with ice packets you keep in the freezer, and you can easily slip them into the sleeves of the splint boot. Uh, it's not like a splint boot. It's more like a tendon boot. Um, and I think a lot of people are familiar with Ice Horse, but this is a brand-new product, and so, um, you know, stay tuned for what that might be, and we're hoping it's, you know, newer, better, or more fabulous. But um, that's kind of a fun thing and, and one that would be very of interest, I would think, to the endurance world after a workout to be able to ice their horse's legs when needed. Um, that and also um, we made some fun inquiries about um, possibly a new beta line and um, a uh, saddle maker uh, had gotten into the, uh, had produced a beta line and I don't actually know how long he produced it, but um, he happens to be um, from Pennsylvania and is Amish, and his quality of work is just superb. And so um, he had samples of the beta that line that he carries already, and so we are going to get together with him and possibly um, uh, request a breastplate, for example. He has a really nice, couple of really nice bridles and reins and so on. So that's kind of exciting and something else to stay tuned for, too, that should appear on our website coming up soon. You just perked all the endurance riders' ears up anytime you talk about a new beta line, right, Karen? <laughs> right, definitely. Yeah, Action Rider always has the the newest, greatest stuff. They're really good at that. Mm-hmm. And right now we carry Taylor Tech. We love that line. It's very quality, and and uh, we have a lot of people order, you know, matching um, bridles and breastplates and stuff. And what's uh, very unusual to me because I come from the you know, more conservative English world. But, you know, the endurance people with their crazy colors is really pretty fun. And uh, <laughs> this guy... What, you tired <laughs> of black? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. And so um, this particular tack manufacturer had some great lime green and bright orange, and uh, we had... Yellow? Do you have yellow? Oh, yes, yeah, bright, bright, bright yellow. It was oh, good, stuff, that's one of my so. colors. <laughs> so that's kind of fun too. So and will be fun to help him. Uh, the only thing he didn't have that we w- required was a breastplate, but he had made already a handful on special orders, and so we're really looking forward to seeing his breastplate. Well, good. Well, let us know. Keep us informed when that line comes out, and we'll certainly mm-hmm. take a look at it. And I know Karen will as well. Beta is one of those things that uh, I, I would say is pretty unique to trail and endurance riding. However, in the in the driving world, we we use all beta harnesses, especially down here in Florida, because of mold. And, you know, and and uh-huh. easy to clean. You know, you you know you you people riding until you've cleaned a harness, a, a full leather harness, don't know what cleaning tack is. Um, oh my god! <laughs> just a pain. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the beta reason we love great. beta. <laughs> Wipe it off. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us here this morning. We're looking forward to hearing about all the new stuff that's coming down the pike. It's Action Rider Tack. Go ch- if you haven't yet, go check out their new website at actionridertack.com. You're going to find everything you need. And you don't have I want to clarify this too. You don't have to just be an endurance rider or a trail rider. They have all kinds of things on there. 
that would really fit for almost any discipline. So hop on over to actionridertech.com. Congratulations, Carla, on, on the uh, new purchase and the exciting new time. As I said, I know what that's like, and I know what you're going through. So good luck with this venture. Well, thank you very much. And I really appreciate being invited on this morning. Thank you. No problem. And Carla or, or Sarah, we'll be talking to you soon. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. Right. Have a wonderful day. All right. Day. Take care, guys. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's good. It sounds like Action Rider Tech is still in good hands. Yes, it does. So actionridertech.com. Well, we're going to go to our next guest up here. You want to introduce him? Okay, Dennis Summers. He's been competing since 1989 and has over 18,000 miles. In 2013, he placed second on the 50 and fourth in the 100 at the AERC National Championship. Dennis and his mayor, OMR Tsunami, together with his partner, Ben Bolt, won the World Riding Tie Championship in 2012. And he has written the book, Fourth Gear Endurance, about taking your horse to the next level. So here is our interview with Dennis. All right. Good morning, Dennis. Welcome to the show. Well, appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit. Well, we're looking forward to discussing your book in a little bit more detail than we um, had the chance to do with Sue, um, the fourth gear, power up your endurance horse. Tell us a little bit about um, how you came to write that book and why. Well, you know, kind of like you, Karen, we've been involved in this for a long time and, you know, had the benefit of meeting a lot of terrific people and, and working with some, you know, just some unbelievable horses. And and two winters ago down here, I, I kind of had the urge to try and get back a little bit. And I thought this would be a good opportunity to try and kind of share a little bit of knowledge and, and maybe ease the learning curve on, on you know, some of our other endurance riders and, and their horses. Okay. Tell us, um, Sue also mentioned that you were really great at selecting horses. What are some of your tips or suggestions for choosing an endurance horse? Well, originally, you know, I, I, I've always felt that if somebody walks 10 horses by me, I'm, I'm able, you know, to kind of almost instinctively pick the horse that's most suitable for the job. And for a lot of years, that's the route that we went. Um, recently fairly recently, uh, I, I've gone one step further, and I won't even really consider a horse until I get a good look at their at their breeding and, and, and confident their performance bred, and then go to the next step of, of assessing the confirmation and way of going. And that's really worked well because, you know, that breeding, it, it, like they say in the thoroughbreds, it, it shows. And sometimes in endurance, it shows at the time you really need it. So uh, that that's another aspect of of it, the the breeding end that that we're really focusing on now, and and for us, temperament wise, uh, we've had terrific luck with the Polish Viking Monarch, uh, mm-hmm. either that that directly or a, a combination of that and a, and a French bred horse, and both those seem to tend towards a, a you know temperament that these are get along with. We're we're not the Try not to be, do the white knuckle riding. You know, we, we see us out on the trail. Generally, we're, we have pretty easy going horses, and, and uh, it's not only easier on the rider. You know, in the long run, it's easier on the horse. It's over relaxing and move efficiently. So that, that and a lot of that, some of that's preparation, but a lot of it's the breeding. You know, and Dennis, uh, I think age helps that too. Um, our age, 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wanting yeah, the last know, of the put, challenge there. Uh, yeah, you know, I put up with a lot of dicey horses and and uh, and had success with them, but percentage wise and enjoyment wise, yeah, now we're tra- tending to try and pick the horses that we can get along with. That's true. The older we get, the quieter our horses get. Um, yeah, you know, if I could, I don't have any kids to pass on all these nuggets to either, you know. So that's <laughs> that's the unfortunate part. So everybody else gonna have to learn like I did, I guess. <laughs> they don't listen anyway. I mean, <laughs> you're probably, you're probably you right. Yeah, yeah. I know. Okay, and so when do you have I'll... your horse selected? Um, kind of tell us a little bit about some of your recommendations for conditioning. And I read a little bit um, in your book about progressive loading. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's it, uh, on, on the progressive loading, and I, I just, I've read a little bit of yours, and it, and it sounds like uh, you've been uh, uh, aware of Tom Ivers' influence on conditioning the horse, and, and mm-hmm. he had a lot of on mine. We had the benefit of of spending some time with him uh, when he was he was skulking around the endurance riding a little bit, you know, while he was doing the thoroughbreds as well, and his interval training uh, ended up being a pretty big part of our program. He was kind of ahead of his time, and I think even some of more of the successful thoroughbred trainers are, are using his method now. And actually, and I think if certain, I if I remember right, that kind of came from the the bodybuilder world. Um, yeah, aggressive loading. Yeah, it, it roots really. Yeah, it, it is. It, that, that's how they get to, to their level, and, and in different ways, we we can sure use it in endurance. And, and uh, Karen is, uh, you know, it's it's the top of the heap in the mileage end, but I bet. Even even with those aims, a portion of your conditioning is probably aimed at intervals and, and more more intensity than than the average person might suspect. Can, can you explain it? What exactly it is? Uh, yeah, well, what uh, what the interval training is itself it's it's you know it's uh, a higher level of of ex- intense exercise than you could sustain for a long time with periods of rest in between. So you. A perfect example would be if you're in mountain country and you power up your your fit horse to the top of the hill, then the rest period would be getting back off the hill for for a second or third or fourth bout uh, of intense efforts. And those efforts are you know are much more than you're asking for in an endurance race, and it'll make that effort at the endurance race feel much easier and, and be much easier from the to, to sustain. So do you advocate um, conditioning a little harder than you compete? Yeah, once once a horse is legged up, you know, which I, I usually, you know, if, I, if I've had a horse for some time, usually that's about the summer of their sixth year, uh, we we have kind of a, a three-step three uh, repeated schedule, I guess you'd say. Uh, if, if one day is an interval hill day, like I just described, with, uh, after – a day or two of rest, they do what I we call a steady state uh, conditioning ride, which would be at or just a little above their aerobic thresholds, which again is is a little bit faster than than you would race, and that would be maybe in more flat country at a, at a higher rate of speed and trying to keep a, a steady effort. So if it is a slight hill, you might slow down a little bit, and if it's on on the downhill, you might speed up a little bit to keep an equal effort rather than an equal speed. And then after a couple more days of rest, the next ride would, would be a long ride, which would be, you know, at race pace or perhaps a little above. 
and then again rest and, and repeat. And so that, that, those three are really the base of our whole program on our fit horses. Now, this is interesting, too, because we have a lot of people who listen to the Endurance Show here, thousands of them, who are, and we've heard some of them, haven't we, Karen, who are looking at getting into the lower levels of endurance riding. And you're talking about, you know, the progressive loading for for your horse, but you're also, you know, taking you guys who are at the top of your sport out of the picture. uh, You're also doing it for yourself because you can't sustain riding at those levels for that period of time. So you're also doing it for yourself as well as your horse, aren't you? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that that uh, <laughs> uh, I kind of touched on that in my book, and at all levels, you know, these these the first couple of endurance. Of course, with the exception whether, of whether Karen, a, who can ride for three weeks without getting off her horse, you know, that's yeah, she, yeah. she's she's Karen's a freak of nature. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, they it is a big effort for you know a person's first fifty mile ride. Uh, you know, it really rings them out. But then over the course of of uh, a season or two, that same race could feel really easy to both the horse and the rider. And in the book, I call that callousing. Well, I'm, I can't uh, claim to have brought, you know, uh, coin that term because it, it goes back to, to the running running uh, schedules and two-legged runners. Yeah, but with I us, it brings back, it brings back a visual uh, when you say callousing that you don't quite get. The runners were talking about their feet. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, as well, their their feet as well as their system. Yeah, just to just yeah. into the to the demands of of uh, you know what's asked of them, and and it's something that comes along slow, but but barring injury, both the two legged and four legged uh, athletes can get progressively get tougher over the course of time, and and do some unbelievable things. Now tell us a little bit about race strategy. That's one of the topics that um, I think is very interesting. Well. I thought a little bit about that before, before I got on the phone, and I and I thought up a couple of perfect examples. We this last fall we did the 50 and 100 mile uh, national championship there in Idaho, and leading up to those, you know, at a big race you have quite a bit of time to think about certain things. And, and the, the pre-ride, what I what I think about is the way the course is laid out. For one, uh, the my horse's strengths and my my strengths and weaknesses. As well, and then the third thing would be the competition. So each the 50 and 100 mile distance has had certain challenges for me. On the 50 mile, I had a, a relatively young horse, uh, Hey Soul Sister, and she's seven. Uh, she's race bred and fast, but not a real competent leader. And this, if you're familiar with the uh, the course there, it was run through uh, a scenic area that has a lot of bicycles, mountain rock climbers, and this and that. And if I got out by myself, I could envision myself, you know, her ducking and diving and me scrambling to stay aboard. Instead of that, I chose to to just, for the most part, follow and then hopefully make a move at the end of the day. And that's exactly how it turned out. And uh, You finished uh, second and on I ended the up about a length. Pardon me. This was on you, the 50, yeah. yeah and it uh, turned out I ended up about a length short of, of winning but i think the strategy you know in that case was really the best that i could do for you know a horse that's not a a great leader which is puts me at a real disadvantage but did the best we could with it then when you get to the 100 mile championship it was a little different scenario the first 50 miles were pretty sim- very similar but the last two loops had some fair climbs in them 
and just the nature of a 100-mile race and then the difficulty at the end, I figured it would take more of a grinder or survivor kind of horse to do well. And Sue and I had, had just that type of horse, and we just stayed close to the front all day. And uh, with that strategy came within a minute of the winner, and, and Sue, Sue's a horse Meg's motivator won the best condition. So in that case, it worked out too. Uh, there was there was some attrition at the front of the of the pack, and with just a little bit of luck, we would have been one too. But but uh, Kevin Myers had a great horse with a great day, and ended up we rode with him all day, and and uh, he came in just in front of us. I have a question for both of you. You know, I, I used to be a runner, and there when you're running, there's a point where usually for me it was three to four miles in where you know what kind of day you're having and whether this is going to be a good day or you just don't have it today, can can is it true with endurance? Uh, do you get to a certain point and you go, okay, my horse has it today, or there's that certain magical cutoff that you go, okay, I'm not going to push my horse today because I don't think my horse has it today. Is that? You know, it's, it's interesting, on particularly on a 100-mile race, you might have those kind of uh, instincts, and swings a couple of times in a couple of different ways. And I think that's what separates the, the good rider from the great rider is that they're tuned into their horse and are feeling those swings. And, and if it takes an extra few minutes to stop and get him to graze or relax or rest, uh, you know, that's what it takes. And you might, you might, that might be all it takes. And, and you'd have your horse straighten out and off you go again or, uh, on the other hand, you know, they just, like you say, they just might not be having their day, and you've got to be uh, aware enough and confident enough in your instincts to go ahead and, and uh, pull, either pull the plug or, or really change your goals for the day, or, yeah, or it's just not going to go well. Karen? Okay, after you finished the, the national championship, how much time off did you give to those two horses? Or, well, you both... You both rode, so um, you had, what, three or four horses that, that competed at the championships? Yeah. My two, uh, they, their whole season was pretty much aimed at that, and I I just went ahead and pulled shoes and gave them the season off. They're both pretty young horses, Soul Sisters 7 and, and Bogart's 8, and I, that, that's my ideal scenario is after a big effort like that, you know, so there's no guesswork. If it's at the end of the season, I can just let them be horses all winter, and then come springtime, uh, start up, and, and they should regain their fitness and, and uh, right. be ready to win. Yeah, the ref, we're, we're fortunate enough to have, you know, a lot of good horses to rotate, and that time off is, and, and being able to point for specific rides is really important if you're, if you're asking for a big effort. Uh, you know, because there's horses that can put out big effort every four weeks, but, you know, they're pretty rare. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I'm a real advocate for time off and breaks um, also as well, even with my um, more uh, conservative riding that I do. I think having rest breaks is really, really important. Oh, so yeah. When- you know, and, and the, be- the better the horse, the less they usually tell you, you know, so you've really got to, got to keep your ear to the ground and use your instincts because, uh, you know, a good horse will just give it all every time. And, and uh, it's, it's a desirable feature that, that, you know, hopefully we're the brains of the outfit and we can, we can manage them. Well, Dennis, thank you very much. And, and thank you, Sue, also for joining us this morning and talking about uh, fourth gear, power up your endurance horse. 
Dennis, give us your website address. Fourthgearendurance.com, and it's the number four. The number four, T-H, gearendurance.com. And and listeners can order your book from your website and from Amazon also? Uh, from from Amazon or Lulu, depending on, on what you're, you're downloading on. It's, it's, okay. it's only available as an e-book so far. I haven't done the print the print bit yet. Okay, okay. Well, terrific, and thank you again, and have a great day. <clears throat> next up, we have upcoming events. These are the next rides that are going to happen with AERC in the next month. Fire Mountain 1 and 2, that's this coming weekend, January 18th and 19th in the Pacific South region in California. There's an introductory ride and a 25 and a 50 each day. Gator Run 1 and 2, also this coming weekend, January 18th and 19th, in the southeast region in Florida. It has a 25 and a 50 each day. The Broxton Ridge USA Southeast SEI Fundraiser, January 31st and February 1st, and that's in the southeast region in South Carolina. It offers an intro ride at 25, 50, 75, and 100 on the first day. And on the second day, an intro, a 25, a 50, and a 75. Eastern Mojave Scenic Pioneer, February 6th through the 9th in the Pacific South region. It's got a 25 and a 50 each of the four days. Uh, Camp Osborne Boy Scout Pow Wow, February 7th and 8th <laughs> in the Southeast region in Georgia, a 25 and a 50 each day. And for those interested in checking out the rides, you can go to the AERC ride calendar at AERC.org. And when you say the Braxton, uh, Broxton Ridge one, uh, you said intro ride. What, what's that? Um, an intro ride is usually a shorter distance, usually maybe 10 or 12 or 15 miles, and it's just to get people oh, to come out to the ride, see how the rides are run, learn a little bit about you know, how to vet their horses, um, you know, what is involved with, you know, doing an endurance ride. And then they go out and uh, do, you know, a, a little shorter distance ride than the, than the 25s and the 50s or whatever the sanctioned distance is doing. And then they usually also get a, an award for doing it. And the entry fees generally a little, you know, a little bit less money. And it's a great way for people to just get some exposure to the sport and to get started. So that'd be so, perfect for Jennifer's fat quarter horse? There you go, yes. <laughs> there we go. So would a horse that was going to do their, a horse and rider, that was going to do an introductory course of 10 to 15 miles, would there be mm-hmm. any special fitness requirements? In other words, for a horse that was reasonably fit and could go out and do 8 or 10 classes at a hunter show or go out and do a hunter pace, um, is that a reasonable level of starting fitness for that type of race? Because because it's a race, I, think so. and, um, I yes, don't know what kind of a pace most, they would typically use. Right. In most situations, a lot of time on the intro ride, they have an experienced rider that might lead the group out so that they oh, can sort of set the pace and, and, you know, maybe keep the new riders from getting, um, you know, a little Locked. bit carried away. It's It's really easy to get carried along with, with faster horses so you know the intro rides are usually a good way for people to just kind of get their feet wet a little bit well that makes sense well jennifer there you go you need to find an intro ride around here there you go (laughs) florida 
There's lots of, you know, there has to be lots of rides coming up in Florida because all the endurance riders are here. So there has to be something coming yeah, up. Are. It's it's filled up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's a lot of the FEI riders are, are there this time of year. Yeah. And a lot of the FEI dressage riders and a lot of the FEI uh-huh. jumpers and a lot of the FEI eventers. Pretty much the whole horse world is here in Ocala right now <laughs> for the next two months. <laughs> we get to yeah. see a lot of breaches in the grocery store next over the next two months. Do you? Okay. Yep. <laughs> well, we're not going to have time to get to your top ten that we started but earlier. I, Why don't we do do that next show? I know. We will. That'll be great. Yeah, I can do my next top ten. You could be an endurance rider if list. That'll be fun. And we didn't get to your product review either. You were going to talk about bidding, which I really want to talk to you about what endurance riders use. So let's do that the next show as well. But see, okay. all the work's done. Okay. You're going to have an easy next one. You've already done it all. I know. Yes, it'll be great. The time flies by. What happened to the last hour and a half? Where did it go? I know. I know. It does happen that way. <laughs> and uh, everybody that uh, we talked to about when we started Horses in the Morning said, what are you going to talk to about an hour and a half every day about horses? And every day we run out of time <laughs> to talk about the things we had planned. So, uh, And that's after 826 episodes. We still haven't run out of wow. time to talk about. Well, thank you, Karen, for joining us. We thoroughly enjoy having you once a month. Karen is here on Endurance Day, which is the second Tuesday of every month here on Horses in the Morning. And, of course, you can catch the recorded version of it if you missed the first part of the show or you missed some part of the show. You can go to our app on the App Store, either IRS iOS or Android, uh, and you can search for Horse Radio Network. All of our shows are on there, included Horses in the Morning. And you can also... Find us on our website, horsesinthemorning.com. You can listen to all the past episodes there as well, all 826 of them. If you missed some of Karen's past episodes, you can go back and listen to all the endurance episodes. Just search for her name in the search uh, block, and it will bring up all from her past episodes as well. And what's your website, Karen? Uh, mine is um, simple, my name, karenchatton.com. And it's spelled C-H-A-T-O-N? Yes. Uh-huh. And that's my blog and um, lots of stuff on there. I My yeah. last post was what to pack in your crew bag. And there was a couple posts on camping, which she has to revise now. Um, yes, I've uh, revised the camping. <laughs> yeah. Basically, her new revision is put barbed wire around your own campsite <laughs> to keep the other horses out. That is, has or, nothing or to do with your... Or put your horses in the trailer at night. <laughs> That's probably yeah. the safest place for them. <laughs> or well, bubble wrap. It, everybody. <laughs> yeah, bubble wrap them. That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We appreciate, we appreciate you being here. We'll be back tomorrow morning with the Wheel of Trivia, EquityMFG.com, Wheel of Trivia. Give us a call at 9 o'clock at 347-637-3238. If you're an endurance rider, we will uh, we just ask you one simple equestrian trivia question. If you get that correct, we spin the wheel to see what kind of fantastic prizes you win. Some mornings we give away over $500 worth of stuff. Some mornings it's just the prize that uh, is a box of crap that comes out of our office here that we're trying to get rid of. You never know. So give us a call. We would love to hear from the endurance riders tomorrow morning here on Horses in the Morning. Thanks, Karen. Have a terrific day. Thanks. You too.